This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, we got a new new podcast again, Kevin. We're going to lead off with the uh, with the replay, and it is the second time Jess is on. Right? Yeah, she's coming yeah, on. Okay. We, are, we are about ninety five percent done the job. We're just waiting for the real equipment's going to be put in. It's going to be full height backsplash. It's going to be putting in, but we are done within four weeks, as promised on schedule. Okay, we got everything done, and Jess is going to come on to talk about what she went through the whole month, how it was to live through the complete construction of a bathroom and full kitchen, dining room, mm-hmm. back room that we did, and we are there. So I think the stress level has probably dropped with her. So Jess, do we agree with me that now that everything's pretty much set in stone, we've got the time set, a little less stress? Definitely a little less stress uh, for me. I think I can also speak for Kevin, probably for him as well. <laughs> Ron, she paid me a very nice compliment on Saturday. I was there working over there, and I'm just fin- painting up the room, just getting everything just She finalized. couldn't be complimenting you on your hair. What? No, it's no. a little... Well, she, oh, she's seen it for the last month, okay. so it's, right. yeah, it's okay. a little bit messy right yeah. now, a little bit of painted, but it was nice because what I appreciate is when homeowners appreciate the work you do. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what we can do. I've seen what we can do. The, the job's coming out absolutely gorgeous, but it was just... It was awesome. She made my day when she paid me a compliment on just getting the job done and making her life as stress-free as possible. So, and I know we talked to a bunch of our replay listeners and uh, homeowners that were on the site and uh, said, hey, listen, I, I get it. It is stressful to go through this. Well, and the horror story is even worse. I mean, that's, talk about stress. That's maximum stress. It, it, right. This All was, caused by contractors. Yeah, just not doing a job, not mm-hmm. showing up. So, Jess, you were on right in the beginning talking about prepping up for the job, getting ready for the job. We are pretty much wrapping up, waiting for the full height backsplash to get done. Talk about the whole process that you went through with Again, a contractor, which being me, how was it? Would you say on schedule was a communication? And what it's going to do is help our listeners to understand when you're hiring a great contractor that they're going to be able to follow this criteria to make homeowners' jobs a lot easier going through all this stress. So why don't you just walk through step by step? Sure. So I can say that just speaking, you know, and I've worked with other contractors in the past that Kevin did a phenomenal job just managing our expectations just before we even got started, just laying out a schedule and being very transparent with that schedule. And not only that, but adhering to that schedule. And if and when, even if we hit a bump in the road, for instance, just our tile for our bathroom wasn't there when we needed it to be. So we had to divert a little bit, but working through anything that would alter that schedule and also just 
talking to us, you know, along the way, what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and always just being very communicative each day, what the plan was, what was going on, and then working with that plan and showing up every day, which is, you know, you hear all these horror stories. That's another key feature. Kevin and Dave were here every day working and making sure that things were progressing as they needed to be. So it's all about scheduling. It's about managing the project. It's about getting done when you say you're going to be done, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. not, yeah. not hard to figure and out. And I'd say the the other part is also that I appreciate is cleaning up. Cleaning up. Okay. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why. Uh, you know, everybody, and we do this for everybody. It's nobody special that we do it for. It's because everybody's special to us. This was a mess. This was a big, big mess. And her house is absolutely beautiful. Everything that she's done from past to now, it's beautiful. It's very high end. So our job is to make sure the job stays clean. So when we're ripping out two inches of concrete. We're ripping out walls. We're ripping tons of drywall out and sanding to maintain a house to be clean throughout the whole process. Correct. It's mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. because... It's your home. I get it. We still have to rip it out, but the homeowners still have to live there. So our job is to just try to manage it as best as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of the compliments, just trying to keep it clean. Because, again, living in for a month, not really uh, having a kitchen, a bathroom upstairs for the, the hall bathroom, it, it's stressful. And if you had a big mess every day, it's going to be even more stressful. So, But, yeah, I thank you. We, we, we tried our best to keep you satisfied, and it looks like we did. So, it's, Oh, by the way, uh, the tile is in route, and they're still projected to come in the next day or two, and we'll get you started uh, the next following day. Sounds great. Yes. So, it, it, And that's the last step? Yeah, that's it. We're In a couple of days, she's getting a full height backsplash. So now we're going to walk our listeners through the job that we did. It's really, really neat. So the countertop's in, cabinets are in, flooring's done. Everything's pretty much done. And mm-hmm. I actually was finishing up yesterday doing some additional painting. The flooring is basically we had put down an engineered wood about a year or so ago on our first floor, basically the hallways, family room, living room, dining room. Mm-hmm. And after we installed that, we loved it. And we knew down the road, or we were just in the initial stages of talking about our kitchen. So we actually ordered the material for that flooring at that point in time, just because we wanted to make sure we would be able to match it. Mm -hmm. So that was our flooring selection. So we actually had that flooring you know, stowed away in our basement for a while. And then our cabinets are a light gray shaker for the perimeter. I like that. And then a dark gray shaker for the island. Our countertops, and then along with the full height backsplash, is Cambria Quartz um, Scar Bray, which is kind of a whitish base with a combination of dark gray and a little undertone of brown veining. Where do you see the lights yeah, in the pictures? Yeah, I like to see and that. And then some very, as Kevin will say, funky lights. <laughs> They're very modern lights, though. Very modern, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very modern. It was something different between the, because uh, we just recently did the foyer, had a two-story foyer, and we had to put a new chandelier light in. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking something typical, getting that in. When you think it's going to be a little bit more difficult because you're so high up and we have to bring this ladder in that was heavy, and your husband Dave was like, how are you getting that thing up there? And we're like, well, you'll see. And we saw the ladder coming in. That is still not as hard as it was to putting one bathroom light that we installed. We were going to put two of them in. I, I got a basic story on this. So as we did it, we had set up for two lights because it's a double vanity, same size, same openings. So he starts to put it up. I hear the, the electrician go, oh, there's, there's just no way this is going to work. So <laughs> Dave and I go up there. The light fixture had to be at least 50 pounds. Jess, would you say about 50 pounds for that whole thing? Probably around there, yeah. It was just solid. It looked like a Grammy. 
Hmm. It was two Grammys that were stuck <laughs> into a side. Maybe, maybe it was a Grammy. <laughs> you know, talented children, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, so we had to, we, we took the two, condensed it back into one light, and it looks great. When I look at somebody designing something, the feng shui, the, the way it looks, it goes. Everything goes. So there's nothing like, well, that's a little out of place. No, everything is, looks phenomenal. It's set in place. The whole design theory is in place, and it looks great. Mm-hmm. But what I always say now, Jess, now we, we talked earlier on the show talking about your three biggest changes. Not the walls removing, not the cabinets going in. Uh, it's the countertops, flooring, and then the backsplash. And I said the backsplash is going to be the biggest thing. You're getting an idea because the countertop is matching the same as the backsplash. Do you envision and seeing how much better this is going to look once that's installed? Yes. And I can't wait. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I give you a lot of credit because a lot of people today, you know, it, there's the, is the white cabinet thing, mm-hmm. white cabinet syndrome, I would call it, right? And to go to gray cabinets, I think is uh, gray and gray for the island too. It's much to your credit, okay? That shows your individuality and uh, sense of design. Good so design. I, I love the white cabinets. I think they look good. They're very pretty. But I kind of felt like going into this, that's what you see everywhere. It felt very cookie cutter to me. Yep, that's my so point. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do something just a little bit different um, while still having kind of that modern feel, but without being the same as everyone else. Well, the shaker cabinets give that modern feel. I mean, shaker is not, it goes way, 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 way back, but it is, it's, it's straight line. So it's, it's very modern. It'd be modern timeless. 10 years from now. Yeah, very timeless. timeless. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's something we, we haven't done, especially the countertop. It was perfect. So we had the paint, we were trying to choose the paint color. Mm-hmm. So we, we, <laughs> we had about four or five different paints on the wall to try to pick the paint color. Yeah. And now the paint's up in the kitchen in that back room. Now, just you see the paint, you see the countertop, cabinets are in. Do you notice those two rooms? I know we changed it in the dining room because there's no cabinets there, but do you really notice the paint or do you know? No, notice the and cabinets? I think once the full height backsplash is out, I'm not even going to see the paint because there's not even tons of wall for it. I agree. Yeah, it sounds, I'm looking forward to seeing these pictures. I put the uh, first stage when she was on earlier, uh, putting them on about the what we did, what we started, we ripped out. So mm-hmm. some of the social media that was done. So people were mm-hmm. getting a good response out of that. But I think the biggest thing is the finish. Everybody loves to see finished pictures because I very rarely do it. In you should. Years. You should always do it. Always I know. Do it. Always do it. I was going to say, Kevin, I, ha- I actually have some. I was trying to document along the way. Not a bad idea. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a bad idea. So it, I confirmed everything three times this morning. We are getting the full height backsplash, and then the next day we'll be there to uh, put the pot filler in, put the range hood in. Uh, the mechanical guy is going to be installing the unit downstairs. Then right after that, with the plumber. Uh, and then the appliance, the stove that she's going to be doing, and she's going to be 100%. So everybody's confirmed to go. So let's keep our fingers crossed, and uh, in a couple of days, we'll be ready to go. Thank you, guys. What are the latest scams and shakedowns? Let's find out with Ron and Kevin. It's the Bad Guy Bulletin. Once again, it's time for the Bad Guy Bullet. It's the third week of the month. We got Mike Bannon from Bucks County Consumer Protection, Weights and Measures on the phone. And he's got tip on the tax scams. Yeah, tax scams. Thank you very much. It's good to be back, guys. Certainly in the consumer protection field, we know that this is the time of year and we're already starting to get calls in our office about IRS tax scams, where residents receive maybe an email that's saying you owe taxes or else they get the dreaded phone call from the IRS that demands you have to pay your taxes right away or you could go to jail. This has really grown, this scam, in the past couple of years. 
because it's successful. So don't fall for it. Don't fall for that one. Always how, verify. How's it likely to come? Over the phone or in an email or what? Or both? Or both. I'm going to say both text messages, emails, and over the phone, which, by the way, the IRS will send you through the U.S. mail, the snail mail, uh, if they want to, to come after you for something. That's always the start. and People usually know it. But they're typically making uh, scam phone calls using a, sp- a spoofed phone number, meaning it may turn up on your caller ID as saying it is the IRS. And then you'll have somebody saying in a very stern voice that you owe money uh, and you need to pay it right away. And that's always the trick here is they want you to pay it right away. Yeah. Uh, or else they're going to arrest you or do something really bad. Pay it right away before they get caught, right? <laughs> well, yes, that's so they right. Can, so you yeah. can get your money, then get caught, and then go to prison and spend your money when they come out. <laughs> From there, there you go. So there you go. All right. Well, you know, what amazes me is that they, they also another red flag here is that they ask for payment in many different kinds of forms with these fraudsters usually will ask for uh, gift cards or money cards, not your traditional way of paying uh, through your normal route. So that's also a red flag for folks. If they demand money right away in a strange payment form, don't fall for it. Go to the IRS webpage and email them or call them if you think you have an IRS issue. I've got an interesting one here, and, I, and somebody made me an offer I don't really even understand, to tell you the truth. It looks like it's on official letterhead, and it says, welcome back. I was never here in the first place. Welcome back. Dear Ronald, welcome back to our Teachers of the Secret community. Sounds exclusive, right? Teachers of the Secret website has been under con- renovation for the past few months. Watch for our relaunch notice to continue our dedication to your success and personal development. We are not experts or teachers. We are lifelong students of the law of attraction and law of success. They actually give a quote from the Dalai Lama here who said at one point, I don't know where that happened in his life, but just one positive thought in the morning can change your whole day. (laughs) And I'm trying to figure out what these people want. They sell books. They have latest blogs and videos. You don't have to wait for your Monday message to arrive to start transforming your life for the better. Take a moment and think about what five things you want to achieve this year. I don't even know what they want from me. It seems like it's money at some point. Have you heard about this one? The teachers of a secret community? I am not aware of that one, but I am aware of many organizations and groups that form to say, we can provide you with this great benefit of a better life or healthier life or some kind of thing like that that happens. So the the scam, I don't know this particular one, uh, but what they're doing is fishing. They're throwing the bait out there for you. I'm sure if you took that bait or responded to it, that ultimately it will lead to your personal information or- or oh, yeah. some kind of payment program or some kind of credit card. They want money from you somehow. Um, and when they play off the quality, I mean, I have no idea what their credentials are, but they're doing that hook for everybody. It seems awful, awful suspicious. I'll tell you about another one, too. And I think this is a wide scale scam. It's just my feeling. Has to do with okay. has to do with a credit card company and the airline. I won't mention the credit card company. I won't mention the airline, but they're two big ones. OK, so I'm trying okay. to book a trip. And I'm trying to use points to do it. <laughs> While I'm on the phone, the guy in the other end of the line says, we were talking about two tickets that were $2,000, okay? Uh-huh. For me and Rosemary. While we're on the phone, he says, uh-oh, 
oh, the price just went up to $4,000. I said, price just went up to $4,000. How the heck did that happen, right? Never heard of that before, right? So he says, well, maybe you would make out better if you book through our website. So I'm, I said to him, so the price is going to go back to 2000 if I go through the website? Well, the website, the website, when you dial into the website, it takes you to the Philippines to somebody who, A, the, the, the connection is bad, person doesn't speak good English, right? And I was on the phone for two and a half hours to try to oh book this. Thing. Two and a half. I said, I finally said to Rosemary, I, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I can't. I'm going out of my mind. So we thanked the girl very much. And uh, the next morning I called up and got it straight. And you know what? I called the main number for the credit card right. company. It wasn't $4,000. So where did that come from? And my overall wow. point here, Mike, is I think... I think big companies, whether they're airlines, whoever they are, are transferring the cost of consumer uh, customer service to the customer, okay? Because oh, yeah. I was the customer, and I was on the phone with this woman who I didn't understand. For yeah, and I kept saying to Rosemary, Let's, we got to get off this. I can't take this anymore. I'm surprised you stayed on for two and a half hours. Oh, my, oh my goodness gracious. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Is that, am I right about that? Well, there's a couple of things there. You certainly have great patience if you stayed on the phone with them for two and a half hours. Um, yes, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, incentives in that they're, they're shuffling around. I will say you talked about the uh, call being maybe outside the United States and having a, a hard time communicating. That's happening a lot now with a lot of legitimate companies. It's obviously cheaper to have somebody outside the United States to handle our customer service problem. So we do see that. That certainly changed. But it's, it, it sounds awful shady if they told you it went up $2,000 and then came down. That that might be more of a, an overzealous employee, but that's definitely a problem. I, I, I'm not sure how to explain that yet, whatever that was about. Yeah, the, the guy at the main number, main credit card number, was uh, told me 4000 and then he said, you make, might make that better through our online operation. So I think they're trying to push people to this Filipino operation. Right, and, right, right. And there it was 3000 and when I called the next, the following morning, I just threw my hands up. I said, we got to get, get this booked tonight. we got to get it booked. We're going to lose it. We're going to lose it. Right. So... <laughs> I hung with it. They're not doing this because it's better customer service. They're doing it because it costs less, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Correct. I mean, they're trying to upsell you, give you their product to upsell it a little bit, push it in a direction. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I got to say, you know, they're all in it to make money. And that's really the bottom line here when it comes to that kind of stuff. They're in it to make money. And, and uh, it's recently they do a lot of tricks and deceptive things, I guess, is what I would say. Uh, that's hard for the consumer to understand. We definitely need more transparency on those kinds of things, especially when it comes to financial situation, financial cards or banks and those type of things, so situations. Touche. Boy, I'll tell you, there's definitely for it. Everybody, and Kevin's shaking his head here. Everybody's shaking their head. Everybody's yeah. experienced this stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, Mike, I have one right now. I just got an He's email. He's got one. He's uh, got one. I guess my bill is due. I got my invoice sent to me for $339 and uh, to use PayPal to send the money. I never use PayPal or any money. What was the bill for? I don't know. I'm not going on it. I just have it up here. I have it pulled up on this thing, but I'm not going on this. So, because even my son's saying, I was like, Dad, what, what are they sending? I'm like, I don't know. I'm so thorough with my bills. And I've never done a PayPal because they're saying I, my account with PayPal set up and we're ready to go. I, go, I don't have PayPal. No, I've been accused have of having of PayPal too. I don't have it either. 
So yeah, I, I'm sure you have you have to be getting people getting these emails saying pay your bill, just click on uh, and send it through the PayPal account that's already set up for you. Do you see that? Yeah, lately? and that's already a red flag right there that they're saying. So I'm much concerned when they're telling you to pay by PayPal. Uh, that's a red flag that there's some kind of scam. I doubt that that's legitimate to be able to do. Now I will say you can use PayPal as a safe way to pay for things, but not solicited or somebody sending you a bill that way. I don't even know what the bill's for, so I'm just watching. Oh, they delete. never even tell you what it's for? No, I just deleted it. It's, it's, it's officially out. I saved it just for this phone call, and that's it. I don't want any parts of clicking on says, here, click here. No, never click. Never right. click. And, you know, there's a lot of digital payment nowadays. There's apps that you can get that, that uh, you know, you can transfer money from your friends and to other folks there, and that's very convenient if you know who you're dealing with, if you're transferring money to your, your children or your children are transferring money to you. But the problem is many people are sending money to people they don't know. They're contacted, like in the situation you were contacted, pay a bill, you know, just use this app on your phone, and it's virtually lost money at that point. It goes into never, never land and it's gone. And we, we've seen a lot of those increase in the past year or two. So always know who you're dealing with at the other end. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's amazing. Amazing. I'm going to just mention one thing. And I don't know if anybody's involved in this out there, but there was a big story that broke just yesterday on non-fungible tokens. Frank's shaking his <laughs> yeah. head. He's heard about it, too. Basically, what's ha- what happened here is that a lot of celebrities were promoting these things. Non-fungible token is and they keep talking about this picture of an ape that people were paying thousands and thousands of dollars for. Right. Jimmy Fallon was accused of it. Paris Hilton was accused of it of promoting this thing to all their fans you know they got a, a big social media following jimmy, jimmy fallon's got the show i think they're going to be in deep water frank wouldn't you shake your head about that that's a whole other episode yeah have, have you heard <laughs> anything NFTs about or, yeah have you heard anything about this and and they're really like, hard for me to understand i will say that so it's hard for me to understand how that turns into money and to be so I'm, I'm very skeptical of nfts right now but i do admit i'm on the older side and having a hard time again understanding it but anything i don't understand i don't invest my money in period that's the way good advice we're never going to run out of material here it doesn't it just stop. Keep, keep on coming now we'll always have stuff unfortunately so that that's always out there they're just adapting the fraudsters just adapt and so we got to stay ahead of them I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about well, it. Well, it's great to have you on. Great to have you on. I hope we're helping some people with this uh, this information. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kev, we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements. Provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value. And for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl siding and manufactured stone, right? Yep, the super polymer formulation of Provia siding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Provia siding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of wood. People often stop me and ask about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Well, how about colors and styles? My customers love the palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues, and a variety of styles from clapboard to dutch lap, board and batten, and chic like mine. And you can see it all and how the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows 
visit Provia's fabulous website, provia.com backslash YVH. Also check out Provia's manufactured stone, another wow product for the eye pop and exterior and interior accents. I just used it on my fireplace. Amazing how real Provia manufactured stone looks. That's because individual stones in Provia stone veneer are made in molds created by professional stonemasons. They use actual stones to form the molds. That's how Provia gets its rugged texture, shadow lines, and coloring of real quarried stone. The assortment of shapes and sizes and 10 stone color palettes even take geographic variations into account. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission, which is to serve by caring for details in ways that others won't. Visualize the possibilities at Provia.com backslash YVH. Okay, now, Ryan, it's time for our featured segment. What have we got going on? Well, we got a lot going on here. Number one, we are celebrating a second full year in podcasting, and this is the beginning. We're coming up on the beginning of our, you told me this the other day, the 10th year yeah, of doing this, going right? Going into our 10th year. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, We've been yeah. doing this a long time. Your guy has been decade. around a long time. Okay, so we're celebrating that, and we are also celebrating the coolest neighborhoods in America, which is getting good play in the potosphere and on YouTube. And I, I want to make a comment about the coolest neighborhoods. One thing that became really, really clear to me in an in interview with all these people is that there is this extreme pride in these neighborhoods where these people live, whether it's Bungalow Heaven in California, whether it's Palm Springs, whether it's Medford Lakes in New Jersey. And they care about the neighborhood, they preserve the neighborhood, and it's palpable. They get up every morning and they know they live in an iconic neighborhood. I think it would be kind of cool if we could help spread that feeling around the country in terms of improving your neighborhood, but doing it in a reasonable fashion that's not going to cost you a fortune. So, invited my buddy, Gary Toth, and two of his colleagues in today to talk about that and offer up some ideas on how one can improve one's neighborhood and get that good feeling that these people have in the coolest neighborhoods in America. So, Gary, welcome back to the show. Gary's been on before. Thank you, Ron. I'm happy to be here. And your two colleagues are? Bert Kassaboon, Kassaboon and Cynthia Nikitin. So if you don't have that feeling, Gary and his colleagues are going to suggest some things to get that percolating in your town. The other thing I want to mention here is that we had singer-songwriter Dar Williams, and she published a book, What I Found in a Thousand Towns, of touring the country over and over and over again. After we do this, I'm going to reach out to her to see if she's been in other towns and can recollect other things that go beyond her book in terms of how to improve a town, how to get that feeling of place in the town. And we're going to reach out to her and see if she can come on maybe in a couple weeks and, uh, and talk about the same thing. We've all visited cool communities like those described in the Your Valuable Home podcast and our YouTube series. What are some suggestions you have, you and your colleagues have, to create the same kind of feeling in any town USA? Well, I'm going to start by saying that many communities who've been trying to reach this kind of pinnacle have planning fatigue and a lot of times lack the confidence, right? lack the confidence that they can change things, that we can't get anything done here. So we recommend starting out small with things called quick build or lighter, quicker, cheaper. So rather than try to roll a huge project ball uphill, we recommend starting with smaller projects that you can roll downhill on like a snowball. It could pick up its own momentum and get bigger and bigger as it goes along. That's kind of like what Dara Williams talked about in yeah, the opening of her book. Right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. She talked about how they just got together and started with a uh, sliding hill. So we're here to give you a few ideas on how to get the ball rolling. 
And we talk about this in two phases, but let me just say this. After this podcast, if you want to learn more, you could email me at gary at placemakersguild.com and we could pass on all sorts of resources on this. This is sort of a two-step process, right? Some towns already have this sense of pride and and the feeling that they, they can get things done. If you don't, other places, then you need to get the ball rolling, building community spirit and generating ideas. So... Um, so we're going to talk in two phases here. First, we're going to give you some ideas on how to build a sense of community, how to get some of those ideas. And then secondly, we'll go into specific interventions. So let me start with Cynthia. Toss the ball to Cynthia. Okay. Hello, everyone. Yeah, this is Cynthia Nikitin. And, uh, you know, Gary and I have worked together for, you know, over 15 years, you know, working with hundreds of communities around the country to do just exactly what he was describing. So... A few things to kind of get to get people together in a room to start building your network of concerned citizens, citizen activists, people that really feel passionate about the community, but don't exactly know what to do. So one thing is to create a Facebook page or Instagram. And Instagram is a great way to bring in like younger people and the youth. And you can create this. You can add it to your own town's uh, Facebook page or link it to their website, perhaps. And it can just be as general as, let just take pictures and describe five things that you love about our town or one thing that you love about our town. What are you most proud of? Mm -hmm. And you can start getting this archive of, of ideas with a little bit of description about what it is and why people love it. If you have sort of a project in mind or you want input about a specific, something that's being proposed or something that could be proposed, you can ask specifically, what do you think about this? You know, they're rebuilding the bridge. You know, what do you think about what they're proposing to do? So you can actually start getting input. And people can do this, you know, at their leisure. You're not asking them to come to a meeting. It's it's a very, you know, light lift for them. But you can start sort of generating information and, and data and research and ideas. Another thing is if you're naming something, if you want to, there's a new playground and perhaps you want to name it after a local hero or someone who was historically significant in your community, you know, you can run that kind of a contest through that kind of a social media platform. If you want to get together physically, you know, and now depending on where you are, sometimes it's safe to do that. Sometimes it's better to do it outside. There are these potluck community conversation dinner programs, basically bringing neighbors together for a potluck, either in someone's home or in a park at a pavilion or other public space. Pick a topic that you all agree and then discuss it. A great way to figure out what are the issues, top of mind issues that are of concern to the folks in your community. And you can sort of all find a way to work together to address it. It's also a safe place to have difficult conversations. So if there's an issue about safety in the school or something that's a little bit um, difficult to talk about, this kind of creates sort of a neutral ground. And I just suggest that you come up with issues that you as a community group can address. If it's an issue about taxes or affordable housing, this may not be the best, you know, venue, but if it's like, how do we get our young people more involved in our community? You know, that's a really good conversation to have um, because it's something that comes up with actionable items. And another way to something else you can do, and I'm always excited about involving high school students and the youth in this and really starting to get them inv <clears throat> in invested in their community. So after they go to college, they come back and raise a family. Um, if you get some blackboard paint, and you paint a wall, it could be on, the, on a business and a business owner that is 
open to that or a, a, a town-owned building. You paint it with blackboard paint. You buy some chalk. And you write a question on the top like, I wish this were, or what I'd like to see here is, or what is missing from my town is. And people just, it should be in a place where people pass by, you know, on a regular basis. And they write their, they write their ideas down. And then every couple of days you photograph the board, get all those ideas, erase them. And then a whole new slew of ideas can come forth. And then you look at them afterwards and you sort of pick out five or 10 that really seem to rise to the top. And that's where you go to the next step about, you know, actually implementing things. So I'll stop there. Is it any different doing this today than it was five years ago? Because it seems like today you can't get any two people to agree on any one thing. Do you find it's easier or harder to get this process going? At the local level, I think it's still the same, right? It is? This, this level of conflict that comes on is about ideology, right? Mm-hmm. But in a town... Like, do I like my town? What can I do in my town? I wish we had more stuff going on in that park. You could usually build some consensus. Now, it's always been, if you go back in history, right, there's always been one or two people who, whatever idea comes up, will oppose it in town. Of course. That's, that's the same. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's any harder today at the local level to do something like this. That's a good and very encouraging answer because, you know, based on what we see, globally today it's tough to get people to agree on anything but that's a very encouraging answer so there's hope in the local towns to get stuff like this done so this is a good segue into the specific interventions because once you get a sense you get people starting to think and remind them that they're in a community you want to do some um, specific interventions you know the first topic that bird is going to talk about is downtown parklets and there's an example that it's no harder today than it was 20 years ago but to put a parklet in front of a local business uh, oftentimes becomes a struggle. Bert, you have done this in your own town, so can you bring us through the process? Sure, thanks. Well, with that background established by Cynthia and Gary about, about setting the stage or, or creating a, a, a level of, of communication ac- across a community, uh, I, I wanted to talk about a specific example. As Gary said, a parklet. A parklet is a tiny park or space created where there wasn't one before. You, frequently, it's created in a couple of parking spaces on a main street or a busy street to change up the whole feeling of the street and the pedestrian activity along it. So, um, you know, Parklet is uh, designated. It's a special use area for as long as it's there. A lot of them are temporary. Um, they include uh, sitting areas and amenities for folks to gather. Um, and there are lots of things you can do inside that parklet and lots of folks to get involved in planning and and actually executing the parklet. So preparation and planning, I guess, is the concept needs to be uh, explained and approved by town officials, police and public works, et cetera, those who have some stake in the in the parking spaces you're going to take away, including the merchants because they, they don't like to lose parking. Uh, and then get the word out, as uh, Cynthia was saying, through social media or community community bulletin boards and and get folks uh, involved and interested and and volunteer to work on it. You can get donations for some of the materials. It's not expensive. A lot of materials. um, You can involve community organizations like Rotary or garden clubs, local merchants, certainly school kids, maybe even um, the local chamber, chamber members. So with the space identified and somewhat separated from the traffic lane, uh, it's a small refuge from the surrounding urban 
or hardscape of the sidewalk and the street. The perimeter can be bales of hay, planters with small trees, old wooden pallets, anything that, that's um, available and cheap and easy to put in and remove. This, If the um, safety features are thought about in consultation with, with the police and so on, you can put a parklet near a crosswalk, and it's very complementary to the idea of creating a small park or refuge where, where people are already drawn, like a crosswalk. After that space is uh, established, it's good to develop a theme, like town greening or art or a, an event or person in history, as Cynthia was saying, and that helps create what will be in the parklet can simply be a place with chairs and benches, maybe some amenities and, tr- and attractions that generate more users. Mm-hmm. It could include a floor, like a green carpet or a sod, donated by a local landscaper, as we did in Haddonfield with our parklet. Haddonfield, New ago. Jersey, that is, right? Haddonfield, New Jersey, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Big box stores will let you borrow their planted material as long as you bring it back alive and uh, in good shape. I like the idea of involving a local landscaper because they usually want to get their name out there and they're happy to provide materials and so on and uh, keep the spending local. Other amenities inside the parklet are almost limitless. Benches, flowers, artwork to attract adult visitors. You can put music, books, and games. Have a storytelling event for children. You know, prizes, snacks, and drinks. Non-alcoholic, of course. Uh, and one of my favorite additions in our parklet was a small children's library and toys. Parents walking by with kids, came in, sat down, picked the book from the library, read them a story, uh, while the other ones played, you know, with toys. What are the benefits? You know, you're reducing some of the parking in, in a hardscape, adding some temporary green space. It doesn't have to be temporary. You can keep it up as long as it can be maintained. Uh, some of them have wheels and a platform that are movable. It's a, it's a Kickstarter for getting people together, finding their uh, connections to other people, and, and and work on the next the next big thing. Very cool idea. Have you guys ever done anything where you would, uh, to create uh, multiple parklets in a town, we would have a like, competition between local landscaping efforts? Well, we have not, but a friend of mine in Montclair, New Jersey, <clears throat> went to work with a group of people, went to the local chamber of commerce, came up with five or ten thousand dollars and started the competition mm-hmm. to and then there would be a prizes for who gets first prize second prize and third prize and the clever thing about that is this if a community group went to a merchant and said i want to take away a parking space in front of your restaurant their initial reaction is going to be no way but if you turn the tables and say here's a competition um and you're going to win a prize and you're going to get notoriety for it all of a sudden then they're going to say yes yeah mm-hmm. five or six or seven restaurants and other shops where tripping over each other to go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great idea, really a great idea. Um, okay, you had another one coming up well, here Well, let too. me just say this. People who would like um, further information on this, mm-hmm. there's, um, there's a site called nacto.org, and they have a whole site on, on this whole idea of doing parklets. parklets yeah. Yeah, okay. NACTO stands for North American City Transportation Officials. Okay, you got another one coming up here. Uh, a few of us thought that um, plenty of roads that were wide enough uh, for bike lanes, but no one had thought or tried to identify bike lane. I think a good way to start there is um, with the bicycle users, mostly kids, 
uh, maybe there's an interest in better bicycle safety. Uh, so you can you can start different ways. One is is a bicycle rally um, or rodeo. They're called sometimes, mm-hmm. um, where kids are called together. If it's winter, inside a gym. If it's summer, uh, the weather's good uh, outside. Kids come with their bikes and hopefully their parents. And um, there are professionals there to give them uh, instructions on how to ride a bike safely, to always wear a helmet. There are usually free helmets donated by uh, either a, a local bike shop or maybe by um, the town so that kids who don't have helmets have them. Um, you can have fun. You can have fun. You can create up a little little contest, you know, riding, slaloming through cones or some kind of activity to, so, so that you're not just educating kids about bicycle safety, but giving them, you know, letting them have fun. Some of these are, these events are funded by the state department of transportation or the local more local planning agencies called metropolitan planning organizations like DVRPC in Philly or NJTPO up in North Jersey. And the police like to do this because they're part of uh, highway safety and bicycle safety. So I talked about what could go on there. Now that can be a launching point for a whole discussion and other initiatives around bicycle use. Um, Some parents are reluctant to see their kids ride their bike to school because they're worried about safety. Sure. So it's an opportunity to increase safety and give the parents some uh, assurance that that bicycles are safe. From there, you can have a campaign for more bike bike racks in town, again, to boost bike security so bicycles don't disappear. Uh, and from there, you can identify roads that are wide enough to add a bike lane, and it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, some paint and striping put down with approvals uh, of the local jurisdiction um, and some signs to say, hey, this is this is a bike lane. And we did it at Haddonfield. Um, took some uh, a lot of meetings with different levels of government, uh, local, county, and state to convince people that this was the right thing to do uh, in the right space. And uh, we got we got some bike lanes built. I want to add that you can find tools for how to do stuff like this, particularly bike lanes and things like intersection bump outs, you know, those places that give extra space for a pedestrian at betterblock.org. Betterblock.org. Betterblock, one word, dot org. Mm -hmm. And they have a whole toolkit on their site to help you through this. I have a question. Um, The proliferation of um, battery-operated bicycles I mean, is that a viable way for people to commute in small towns? It's a viable way for people to commute in all towns. In all towns. Right. I mean, particularly in the bigger cities. New York, You see New York and Philadelphia and stuff like that. You see um, a lot of articles, and I've seen it myself in person, a lot of people now, because it's easier. You don't have to park your car. You don't have to pay for parking. You don't have to deal with traffic. And now that Philadelphia, for instance, and New York City has a vibrant network of Bike lanes. Bike lanes. Mm-hmm. And one way to get the ball rolling on bike lanes is the way Bert described, right? right. So if towns like Haddonfield and Lambertville and Newtown that may, may not have this rich heritage with creating bike lanes, you can get the ball started by testing them out. One of the other benefits about e-bikes is that for folks who don't have strong biking legs like Gary, 
um, it gives them a little extra boost. So instead of being comfortable riding a couple miles on a regular bike, they can cover a lot more distance because they get the boost of the e-bike. I'm about to get on my e-bike and ride down to Haddonfield, Bert, and you're going to deal with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I'll be ready. Yeah, as you know, I have one too, right? Uh, myself and Rosemary have one, uh, and I love it. And the best thing about it is I live on a hill. The best thing about it, because you can pedal, you know, you can mm-hmm. pedal, and then that saves the, the, the battery as you, go, as you go along. But the best thing about it is just turning that throttle to go up that hill at the end of the ride, because right. that, used to be, uh, that used to be the challenge for me. But not anymore. Not anymore. I, I think they. I think there's a big future for these things, really, in uh, in all over, and um, you know, it's and young people. I'm, I'm sure in cities are using them. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen X, Gen Y, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, bike lanes. You got well, I think we just us. talked about bike lanes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to touch real quick, so that we can move on to other things. The idea of doing street murals, which has been happening in a lot of places in the country. And there's a website called cityrepair.org. And the whole idea of a street street mural, street painting, is that the neighborhood gets together. They pick an intersection or two. They they create their own theme for the artwork, right? What's what's the big mural going to be in the intersection, Mm -hmm. right? And it could be something local history. It could be whatever their local identity, what they're known for, whatever, right? And they, but they collaborate together, and it goes back to building the sense of community that Cynthia talked about in the first thing. And then they go out and have a day where they paint the mural in the street. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. cool. I mean, so, you would have to have you have to screen that a little bit too for people who really you know can do it. Well, it's up to the neighborhood, right? That's mm-hmm. the nice thing about this is the government doesn't have to, you know, they just turn it over to the neighborhood, and the neighborhood has to have the sense, right, to you know, who gets involved. But, you know, I've seen, they come up with a graphic, a, a, you know, a, a template for this. And I've seen them even allowing six-year-olds. I've, I've been to Portland, Oregon, and witnessed one of these in, in process. And they would have six-year-olds come in and say, paint between the lines, right? Because they sketch out, they sketch out. They the could do it. Mural. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. They could do it. Cynthia, you're up next with Community Gardens. I like this one. Community Gardens. It can be beautification if you plant native plants. It attracts pollinators. It can help with stormwater absorption, etc. So you can find like, you know, a, a public space in front of the library or in front of the town hall. And to start, you know, a community garden, you basically can start with a plant swap where people, you know, in the spring, people always have too much of something and people come together and they bring their plants in pots and you kind of start out with donations and you sort of have a community planting day. Um, we've also had ex- good experience with the Girl Scouts doing it or the Boy Scouts taking this on or the National Honor Society, for example, at the high school. You can get young people involved in this as well. Um, and you just you plant up a space and obviously you need to come back and water it and weed it and, and take care of it. Um, but you can do this also with food. You can start a community vegetable garden in, in a vacant lot. You can create raised beds. There's also organizations like Pollinator Pathways. These are organizations that try to create like a corridor of pollinator gardens through a town or along a roadway or a corridor that connects communities together to support native pollinators birds and insects that you know we rely on so so deeply mm-hmm. you know for our, our food supply 
So it can be a, it can be a pretty easy lift. Uh, there's also Seed Savers is an organization where people save heirloom seeds and collect them and then give them out to folks that want to start, you know, they want to start growing plants from seeds rather than from cuttings or transplants. Um, but it also, again, is something that gets a lot of attention, looks great on social media, and it's something that, you know, people in the community can do from the age of 8 to 80. You know, I'm going to throw something in here. I was involved uh, years ago. I was head of marketing communications at a very, very excellent medical center in Bucks County. We, and we got a lot of people behind this. And it's something that probably should happen in more and more areas around the country. Because the hospital is like a pivot point in a community, right? We created, yeah. we created these healing gardens at uh, St. Mary Medical Center in, in Bucks County. Big, big gardens. Uh, the, the biggest one was an oriental garden. I think you've probably seen them, mm -hmm. right, Kev? Oriental garden. And people, you don't have to be in the hospital. You don't have to be visiting anybody in the hospital. They'll use this thing. You can go out there and read a book. It's great. Mm. Uh, so we did, we did a total of about, oh, I don't know, seven or eight of them over, the, over a period of time. And one of them was a rooftop garden on top of a, a particular section of the hospital turned out to be absolutely gorgeous. You have to use a certain type of, it's soil, it's, it's, um, soil is very, very light because you don't want all that weight on the roof. But we got a lot of people behind us. We raised a lot of money to do it. And uh, and, and it, it does draw people. And it, you, you can see them. And one's right off the cafeteria, so you see it all the time. The Oriental Garden is off the cafeteria. So that's another possibility here um, for, you know, any healthcare facility in a community, which is usually a big pivot point in the community to do something well, like that. Well, it's also good for the mental health of the people. Absolutely. Visiting folks that are in the hospital, right? Because Absolutely. a lot of times people go back and spend days going back and forth. So sitting outside in a garden like that or a space like that is very useful. Or for somebody who's who's um, laid up in the hospital for a protracted period of time, to look out the window and see all that nature out there and it's 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 hopeful it raises hope especially on a nice sunny day you know so i just throw and that in it's also good physical activity for the people actually doing the digging and the planting and the watering it's very good exercise absolutely absolutely okay who's next gary um, bert is next with stream and woodlands cleanup yeah good good segue from uh the, the benefits of uh <clears throat> of accessible uh nature nature and natural history things uh so the idea here is a is a woodlot cleanup or a park cleanup or maybe a stream a stream corridor uh, cleanup. Um, we tend to be kind of disconnected um, in our more urban places from the natural features that are that are there. They're just kind of hidden. We put streams underground and hide them behind big buildings and so on, but they're there. Um, so we not only have the opportunity with some kind of a cleanup program which can be, again, school organized or uh, a community organization or just advertise on social media and tell folks to come out. We have a great woodlot called Sattler's Woods nearby, um, and folks turn out all the time to go in and remove the invasive plants and clean up any debris that's been put there. Um, but it really becomes an opportunity to, to reconnect people to the ecology, the local ecology and natural resources. So, and that's become increasingly important because in our towns and communities with what's going on with climate change, we just witnessed what was going on in California with uh, almost unprecedented storms, rainfall and flooding. 
Um, so water is going to be more and more important at all levels of life, uh, particularly, you know, in our local towns. So um, from, a, from a cleanup, a simple cleanup of a, of a natural feature, we can take the opportunity to build on that, talk about water and ways to manage stormwater better. Um, and think about water quality, water quality in our streams, um, the stormwater that comes off our parking lots and our roofs. I mean, all homes generate stormwater, and it just increases the peak flow of the streams and causes flooding, can cause flooding, and so on. There's so many little things we can do to intervene in that generation of stormwater uh, storm and, and the pollution of that stormwater. So we can put rain barrels. Um, Connected to our home downspouts, not only reduces the water coming off of the roof into the into the environment, but uh, a barrel full of water can be used to to water plants on your deck or porch or in the garden. Um, and then that stormwater can also be better managed right on site instead of piping it away like a waste product, uh, which is kind of how we treat rainwater or stormwater. You can build a small depression in the in your in your yard, if you have the space, I call it a mini basin. Uh, and an outgrowth of that are rain gardens. Um, a lot of towns build, build rain gardens with with public uh, with public funds, which of course is a, a you know hydrologically connected area that is uh, that will accept uh, stormwater runoff before it goes into a stream or before it causes some other problem. Um, there are all kinds of designs and plantings for rain gardens they've been tested and and demonstrated uh, all over the country really and it is you know one of many strategies to to help manage uh, stormwater and, and reduce flooding one last element about that awareness of water and stormwater is is the the way that we um treat our lawns uh everybody wants a green lawn almost everybody there are alternatives to green lawns that are covered in chemicals every spring. Um, you can have a, a no-mow or a low-mow lawn. You can have uh, gardens, gardenscapes in lawns, and uh, gardenscapes in your yards as, instead of lawns that reduce the pollutant load of all those chemicals that they don't stay on the lawn. They either Those chemicals either run off into the stream or lake or they're in the groundwater. And in New Jersey, we rely very heavily on our groundwater for drinking water. So I hope that's an example of uh, starting with a small practical thing and building on it to to kind of, um, how do I say it, small steps for social change disguised as fun. That's a great example, Bert. It's a great example. I think you guys got two more things to talk about. Is that correct? Sure. Mm -hmm. And I think Cynthia is going to talk a little bit about doing a place audit in your town. Mm hmm. Yeah. So once you've had your community supper and you've had, you know, people sort of talking together or you've got ideas on your Facebook page about places that people are interested in in the community, you need to go out and actually look at them. Um, you can't really do this work without actually being on site. And, you know, we have a number of tools for how you actually do a, an on site evaluation of a place to understand what's working about it, what's not working about it. And what are some short-term changes that you can make to have the most impact? So you get a group of folks together and you go out and you look at, you know, 
the access and linkages. How connected is the space to other places? Is it easy to get here without a car? Uh, does it feel connected to other places within the community or is it kind of off by itself? How do you improve sort of the connectivity? What's the signage like? Things like that. Um, and then you can decide, you know, what is looking at the comfort of the place? Is there seating? Is there lighting? Is there weather protection? Um, is it a comfortable, safe feeling place to be in? Is it attractive? Is it green? Is it clean? Are the, or are these issues that need to be addressed um, as you move your ideas forward? And then what's going on in the place? You know, are people using it? What are they doing there? When are they using it? Who's using it? What activities could be happening there? Maybe it's a perfect place for a farmer's market or a community yard swap um, or a concert from the high school band. You know, if there's nothing really going on in a public space, it's really hard to get people to use it. So we really need to figure out what do people want to use it for? What do they want to do there? And then what are the features and elements that you need to introduce to make it more functional that way? And then, you know, this idea of if you've got people interested in, in taking care of a place or making it better, you know, who is it? Or is it welcoming to elders? Um, is it welcoming to families? Are, are there groups of people that already are doing things or could adopt a bench or could adopt a plot of land to do a community garden? What are the opportunities for making this really a lively social place? So those kinds of ideas about activities and amenities and linkages um, and creating this sort of social life in a space is a, it was a really good way to start understanding what's working about a space and what are some of the short-term, even longer-term improvements that you might want to make that, there. That last thing you just said is the key. <clears throat> and this technique you're talking about could be also applied to street and walking audits, right? Sure. Street yeah. says, mm -hmm. and in particular, that whole idea of recording what your short-term and long-term ideas down are that the community agree to is important. And I want to emphasize that you record it in your own words, the citizen, right? Like, I want to make it easier to cross the street here. Don't ask for a crosswalk. Don't ask for a traffic light because then you enter into the engineering realm. And so you just, in your own words, I would like to be able to Makes allow sense. that. Right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so basically, that's that's the whole process. You can find information on walk audits on the AARP website, America Walks website, and the Safe Routes to School website. All you need to do is type those things into your browser and then type, you know, street audits, walking audits, whatever, and it'll pop up. You know what I like, especially like about this, is that we're talking about ideas that bring people together, the commonality of that. And I think that's something that's more more needed in this country than ever before. I Absolutely. Really do. I really do. Absolutely. So Gary, Cynthia, Bert, thank you very, very much for doing this. It's a very, very big contribution. And um, I hope our listeners are... Uh, are listening to this and maybe something good will happen in communities around the country. Okay. Stay right. tuned next week, Kevin and I, and the, uh, the absolutely outstanding interior designer, Donna Hoffman will be offering our ideas in terms of how you can improve your house, make it better without spending a ton of money. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. 
Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 